You guys, you guys can head out to your classes now if you wish. And for those of you who are staying here, you can take out your Bibles and uh, open them up to the book of Mark. We are going to be in Mark chapter 5 uh, this morning or today. <laughs> it's no longer morning. <clears throat> My wife and I had the opportunity to drive our daughter, Christina back to to college as well uh, she is attending Shriner University in Kerrville and so um, we we had the opportunity to drive her back and move her into her first apartment uh, she had been staying in, in dorm rooms up there and so now she is staying at an apartment on campus and so it's a whole new experience for her uh, as well uh, but while she was here uh, she got us hooked on a TV show that she used to watch uh, when she was uh, up there in, in college. The show is called Blue Bloods. Have any of y'all watched that show? Uh, you know, it, th this show kind of follows a family of police officers that are uh, within the New York um, City Police Department. And, and really the running plot in the, in the show is this Sunday dinner that they always sit down to. And at this table, there are four generations uh, that gather to eat and to discuss their week. And, and you know, kind of like the rule that they have is that nobody can, can eat until everybody gets there and until they say grace uh, over the meal that they are uh, going to share. And during one of the episodes, or during almost every episode, there's these impossible cases, right, that seem to intertwine all of the members of this family. And the neat thing that I like is, is uh, about the show is seeing all the opinions on how to handle each case from the point of view of these four generations. Because each one of them will, will see a specific situation or a specific case through their lens, right, of, of where they're at in their world. Uh, and for example, there was an episode where, where the grandfather is going out and he goes to the ATM machine and, and he gets mugged. Uh, at the ATM machine and you know being a former cop and a former police commissioner you know he tries to fight back only to get you know bonked on the head with a with a gun uh, and of course he gets all cut up and everything and they rob him and of course the whole family is, is outraged uh, the grandfather's son uh, who is now the the police commissioner of, of New York uh, you know, he, he is upset, right? But he's trying to be cool and collective. Uh, his, oldest, uh, his oldest son is a police detective. His daughter is an assistant district attorney. And the youngest son is a rookie uh, police officer. And the youngest son breaks some rules by going after the mugger while chasing him to the roof of a building. Uh, and what happens is his partner's hungry and he doesn't want to eat because he wants to keep looking for him. The partner finally convinces him to pull over and he gets down and then they get a call. And so he's like honking the horn, putting on the lights for him to come out. And then he just leaves them there because he wants to catch this, this guy who mugged uh, his grandfather. And so he leaves him there, speeds to the, to the place and the, the guy takes off and he chases after him. 
and uh, they're trying to get him on the on the on the radio but he took off and he's too busy running he can't uh, check in and so he breaks a bunch of rules because he really wants to catch this, this guy and so they run up a, 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 the stairs to a building and they're on the roof and the guy's running away and he tries to jump from one roof to another roof on a, of another building and he doesn't make it and so he's he stayed there hanging off this roof and so the the youngest uh, son there the grand the grandson uh, the the rookie police officer he finally catches up with him and the guy's hanging there you know getting ready to to fall and so he pauses and just enough to to wonder okay what do I do here right uh, do I try to help this guy do I just let him fall you know but of course it goes all really really fast and he ends up deciding to to jump over he lands on the roof and he's able to to help him and, and to rescue him um, but you know the uh, he has to suffer the consequences because of all the rules that that he broke and uh, and he gets suspended well later when they come back to Sunday dinner you know he's applauded by the family by his brother and sister and the, the, the grandkids right uh, for catching this guy that mugged their grandfather and their great-grandfather right and but the father who is now the police commissioner he tells his son that he was out for vengeance instead of justice and that's why he broke the rules and that's what caused him to get suspended and then the grandfather you know the uh, the one who got attacked tells him if i was if i had been you i would have just let the punk fall <laughs> right so you see all these different uh, points of views and and it's a really neat show I, I i you know she's got us hooked on it now and it's not even a new show i think it's got like nine seasons or something like that and i think we've only seen up to season three so don't tell me what happens if you know but uh but it's a neat show and uh, and you know but you see all these impossible cases uh that happen on this tv show that they have to go through well today what i want to do is i want to start another sermon series uh that deal with impossible cases in the bible and the bible is filled with impossible cases hopeless cases there are situations and circumstances that seem to have no solutions there's storms and there's needs and deaths and sickness and and many other situations that to the human mind seem impossible yet they are handled with ease by the power of a sovereign god and so this section of mark uh, uh, this gospel is filled with several of those impossible situations and Jesus just steps into every single one of these unimaginable situations and proves that he's more than capable of handling anything and one truth that demonstrates itself over and over in the pages of the Bible is the truth that God is more than adequate for every situation we find ourselves in there are no impossible situations with him there are no hopeless predicaments with the Lord and so my hope is that as we go through these impossible cases that we're gonna see in the Bible that you might be encouraged um, and realize that that you know your situation is not hopeless your storm that you might be going through is not hopeless your sin is not hopeless your sickness is not hopeless nothing is hopeless uh, with the Lord and so our text today describes one of these hopeless situations Jesus is on his way to heal the daughter of a man by the name of Jairus and on the way there 
he is surrounded by a great crowd of people. And in the crowd that day, there was a poor, weak, timid, dying woman who reaches out and touches Jesus. And when she touched the Lord, her life was instantly, completely, and permanently transformed. So let's go ahead and read together here uh, in Mark chapter 5, verses 22 through 34. I'm going to be reading uh, out of the NIV uh, version this morning. Mark 5, 22 through 34 says the following. <clears throat> then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, the Bible that we have in our hands. Lord, we thank you that it is inerrant. We thank you that it is complete. And we thank you, Lord, that we are free to read it and study it and have it, Father, here in this, in this country. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding of what we just read through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Father, that you would help us to see the message that you want to give us. And help me to be clear, Father, as I try to relate. Help me to be uh, understanding, Father that people would understand the words uh, that I share this morning. So thank you, Father, for this, and we pray in Jesus' name. And so today, we're going to consider the hopeless situation mentioned in these verses, because the facts of the story can help us when we face helpless or hopeless situations in our lives. And so what I want to point out uh, are, are these facts, and as I do, we're going to see the case of the bleeding woman today. The first thing that we see in verses 24 through 26 is her suffering. And in verse 25, we see her affliction. And it says there in verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Subject to bleeding or that she had an issue of blood is how some other uh, versions put it. And this literally means that she was hemorrhaging or bleeding internally uh, from someplace in her body. We're not really told exactly why or from where she's bleeding, but we know that it wouldn't stop bleeding. And whatever caused this internal hemorrhage, she was, very, she was a very sick woman. And so the verb tense indicates 
that it was a continual flow of blood. And so we see that affliction in verse 25. In verse 26, we see her anguish. A constant flow of blood would have caused her unbelievable suffering. And so what I want to do is I want to take a minute to examine some of the areas that she would have been suffering because it wouldn't have just been a physical suffering. And we have to kind of put ourselves in their shoes and their time frame and in order to understand exactly the suffering that, that this woman was going through. Because she had, of course, her physical anguish. You know, from the constant flow of blood loss uh, or the constant blood loss, this woman would have been weak. She would have been anemic. She would have probably been pale. She would have had no energy at all. You know, I can think of uh, individuals at my work when, when that uh, bus pulls up the, from the blood bank, right? And there are some people that get blood drawn and, and they get dizzy and they can't, they, they feel nauseous and they, ha they have to wait there, right? And they have to give them cookies and juice boxes and stuff like that uh, just to get them oriented again. And, uh, and so imagine this woman has just a constant flow of blood and any effort that she would make would, would have worn her out. And so she had that physical anguish from this blood flow. But she also had a medical anguish, right? Uh, we're, we're told that she had tried all these remedies from the physicians during her day. And, and we're told that she suffered under their care. An example of their medical techniques can be found in some early writings. In fact, there, there are 11, 11 remedies prescribed in the Talmud, uh, which is a, the Talmud is a central text of mainstream Judaism. And it consists primarily of discussions and commentaries on Jewish history and law, especially in the practical application of life, right? It also had customs and culture in these writings. Uh, some of these remedies that are found in here are potions, but most of them are just simply superstitions. Uh, but let me give you a brief example of some of the remedies that are prescribed for this type of affliction, okay? Um, it says, I don't even know what some of this stuff is, okay? But I'm just going to read it to you. Take of gum uh, Alexandria, of alum, and of crocus hortenses, the weight of a zussi each. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that has an issue of blood. But if this fails, take a Persian onion, nine logs, boil them in wine, and give it to her to drink and say, Arise from thy flux. But should this fail, set her in a place where two ways meet, and let her hold a cup in her, uh, of wine in her hand, and let somebody come behind her and affright her, and say, Arise from thy flux. But should this do no good, take a handful of cumin, and a handful of crocus, and a handful of phaino-greek, let these be boiled and given to her in drink and say, Arise from thy flux. But should this also fail, dig seven trenches and burn in them some cuttings of vines not yet circumcised or vines that are not yet four years old. And let her take in her hand a cup of wine and let her be led from the trench and set, set down over that. And let her be removed from that and set down over another. And in each removal say unto her, Arise from thy flux. These are all remedies that this woman 
could have probably paid for and and tried out just because she's she was desperate right there was even one remedy that called for the woman to carry an ear of corn that had been taken from the dung of a white donkey had to be a white donkey though <laughs> so you know when we really think about it it's kind of hard for us to imagine the kinds of indignities and embarrassments that the doctors had put her through right and so you know she had tried everything it reminds me of, of these healers that people go to right i remember seeing a, a a news reel one time in spanish because my when i grew up my, my parents would watch the news and, and there were some people that would lie them on they would lie on a on a on a table and they would start like like you know rubbing their stomachs in and stuff and then all of a sudden you would see blood start coming out and then they would start pulling out these pieces of skin of some kind and then they would do something and then all of a sudden there was no like there was no cut on the skin or anything like that and of course they had a false thumb and inside the thumb there was a thing of blood and they had these pieces of chicken parts and stuff and so when they would be going like this they would take the thumb out and then they would reach into the thumb and take out the pieces of and but the people thought oh they're taking out the bad stuff in my body and stuff like that so i'm sure that and you have to pay for this and so i'm sure that this lady was was going to to these different people who had a different cure for her and and had to pay all this money so we see her medical anguish but we also can see her social anguish she was almost certainly not married and i say that because through a simple physical contact with her she would have defiled her husband if she had ever been married her husband would have probably divorced her she could not work around others because of the danger of defilement and this reduced her to a life of probably begging for scraps of food from a distance because she couldn't come near people because of her uh, blood condition and so her condition left her on the fringes of society and in the eyes of those around her she was no better than a leper because she was considered unclean because of her condition but we also see her emotional anguish since the bible uh, says that that she had been this way for 12 years and considering the average lifespan in those times it is safe to assume that she had probably been this way just after puberty and you know she has lived her life moving from one rejection to another and she finds herself lonely isolated and desperate but there's also religious anguish that she suffers under the law in Leviticus this poor woman was to be considered unclean anything or anyone that she touched was also considered unclean so nobody wanted to be around her and as a result she could not mingle with other people anyone who came in contact with her would be considered ceremoniously defiled and so she could not even go to worship in the women's court of the temple because she was considered unclean but we also read about a financial anguish that she had the bible tells us that she spent all she had the doctors and their useless remedies had not helped her all they had done was drain her bank account and she had been left penniless and destitute with no one to look after her and we see in verse 26 her agony because after years of pain worthless doctors useless remedies and shattered dreams she has reached a place where she knows she doesn't have that much longer 
to live. And she will, she will not get better. She knows that she will die from this disease. Her, her life is literally draining out of her little by little every day. And she's at the end of her road. She has nowhere else to go, right? And I wonder how many of us today can identify her with her. Because maybe you don't have the same kind of illness. But like her, maybe you're in a situation, you are filled with suffering and sorrow, and, and you find yourself in a place where you're at the end of your rope, and you're not sure where, where else to go. And this nameless suffering woman really is a picture of two types of people. This woman pictures every person who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. So any unbeliever, because the lost are, like her, defiled by a blood disease. They inherited this disease from Adam, as we saw in Romans 5. And this condition has plagued the lost person ever since they were born. And we see that in Romans 3 and in Galatians 3. And it is a condition that the sinner can't make better or change it on their own. And they might go like this woman did to all these people trying to figure out a way to make their situation better but they can't and they will waste a lot of money but they can't many lost people spend their entire life searching for meaning and help for their condition but instead of getting better they get worse their hearts get harder and they become more deeply rooted in their sins and all the efforts at self-improvement and religion do not improve their condition. And so this woman was in bad shape. But she wasn't nearly as bad off as that person who is not saved. Because they are headed to an eternity in hell without Jesus. And so she's a picture of the non-believer. But she is also a picture of that believer... Who is laboring under a heavy burden. Because many of God's children are, are discouraged and defeated today as well. And, and maybe you find yourself there. Maybe you have tried everything in your power to get better. You're a believer. You are a Christian. But you've tried everything you know to fix the situation that you find yourself in. You've read all the books. You've listened to all the preachers. You've gotten the advice from the best sources. But, but you're still there and you're no better. And your life is as messed up as it ever was. And if that describes you, I hope you keep on listening and you keep on coming. Because the Lord will have some help for you in these, in these messages that we're going to be covering. Okay? So, we've seen her suffering, right? We've seen this woman suffering. And in verses 27 through 28, we see her plan. Our text tells us about how this woman came to Jesus. This hopeless, broken woman devised a plan to meet the Lord. And in verse 27, we see her reasons, right? Uh, it says in 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, right? So somewhere, wherever this woman was, she heard about Jesus. Maybe she, she, she had heard how he had healed a leper, because that happened in Mark chapter 1. Maybe she heard about that wild man across the, the lake that Jesus had delivered from a legion of demons, because that happened in, in, in Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20, right before we see these verses here. 
And then maybe she just ran into somebody who had also lived on the fringes of society and had been healed by Jesus and came and told her about it. But somewhere this woman heard that there was power in Jesus. And so we see that. And then in, in verse 28, we see her resolve. She heard about Jesus and she knew she had to get to him. And she, she came to realize that Jesus was her only hope. And she believed with all her heart that if she could just get to him, that she would be healed. And she displayed her determination to get to Jesus by approaching him in that crowd. Because as she elbowed her way through the crowd trying to get to Jesus, what do you think she was doing to everybody that she was touching? She was causing all of those people to be ceremoniously defiled as she went through the crowd. She was taking a great risk. If she had been recognized, a crowd like that might have gotten worked up about it and beat her or stoned her to death. But for her, at the end of her road, it was a risk worth taking. And she believed that Jesus would heal her. And so she had to be determined because by the very nature of her disease, it would have taken all the energy she had to just drag herself out there and to struggle through the crowd and to, to just try to get to Jesus. But she was desperate. And the question is, have you reached that place in your life as well? Have you come to understand that Jesus is the only hope that you have for your situation? Because you might be here today and, and you've never really come to know the Lord today. Understand that He is the only source of salvation for you. Jesus is your only hope. And there are some here who might be saved, who have come to an understanding of the gospel and have accepted the payment that Jesus has made for them. But like this woman, maybe you are burdened and defeated. And the sooner that you come to realize that Jesus is the only person who can help you, the sooner you can get the help that you need. Listen to what it says in, in, in some of these verses here. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says... Come to me, all you who are weary and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Why do we need to carry that burden another step? Why should you fight your battle for one more minute? Why do you have to live a defeated uh, life for another day? You don't have to. You can get to Jesus just like this woman did, and he can and he will help you. So we've talked about her suffering, we've talked about her plan, and in verses 29 through 34, we see her salvation. And we see a couple of things. In verse 29, it says, Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And so verse 29 shows us that her salvation was powerful. When she was near enough to him, she reached out and touched his garment. Then in that very instant, 
she received what none of the doctors uh, or their costly and painful remedies could give her. She was healed instantly. She felt the change in her body and she knew that there was something different about her. In verses 30 through 33, we see that her salvation was personal because as soon as this woman touches, touches Jesus, he knows that something has happened. He knows what has happened, right? He knows that power has gone out of him. Jesus knows what has happened and he asked the question in verse 30, who touched my clothes? Now let me ask you something. Did he not know who touched him? He did not know who touched him. Or did he know who touched him? He knew who touched him, right? He knew already what had happened, right? Of course, you know, there, there were dozens of people touching him and bumping into him that day. You know, a fact that was pointed out by the disciples in verse 31, right? You see that people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, you know, who touched me? But her touch was different, right? It was a touch accompanied by faith. Because many touched him, but only one touched him with the fingers of faith. And Jesus could have let her walk away like that, guys. He could have just kept going on his way and she would have been healed, right? Um, but he called her out because he wanted to give her more than just a physical healing. He wanted to move her beyond her superstitious faith to a saving faith. Because imagine what could have happened if she had reached out and just touched his garment and she had been saved. She could have left that day thinking that the power was in the garment. And that's why people today will put up tortillas and pray to them. And, you know, because it has an image of, of Jesus on there or something when they cooked it, right? That's why people worship idols today. Because they put their faith in things. And he did not want her to leave with her faith in something. She wanted her faith to be in someone. He wanted her to know that it wasn't his clothes that saved her. It was her faith in Jesus. And so when Jesus spoke to this woman, you will notice that she fell before him in fear. She probably expected Jesus to lash out at her for touching him. And she thought that, she, that he would treat her like everyone else would have treated her. Just by touching him, right? But she, she could have defiled him. She could have defiled Jesus. But Jesus was not interested in humiliating her. He was not interested in driving her away from his presence. He was not interested in preaching her a sermon on uncleanliness from, from the law. He was interested in helping her with her problem. He was interested in saving her soul. And so Jesus uh, got the response from her that he wanted and, and had anticipated. You know, she bowed at his feet and confessed everything to him. This was a public, outward acknowledgement of what had happened in her heart. She was different, and she wasn't ashamed to tell others about it. But, but remember what was going on? Why Jesus was walking through the crowd when we first read the very first uh, verse here? Remember that he was on his way to heal a, a young daughter of a man named Jairus in verse 22 and, and, 22 and 24? Do you all remember that story? Can you imagine Jairus? She find, he finally got to Jesus. 
and Jesus agreed to go with him and his little daughter is, is dying and, he, and, and here comes the master and he's going okay we're, we're on our way we're on our way and all of a sudden Jesus stops imagine how Jairus felt we were on our way to save my daughter already and this woman interrupted the whole thing that was going on right by the way do y'all know how old the daughter was she was 12 the same amount of years that this woman had been suffering interesting we're going to talk about Jairus later but this little girl was at the point of death but as Jesus makes his way to this man's house he is surrounded by this crowd and yet in spite of the seriousness of his mission Jesus takes the time to stop for this woman everything else was put on hold as Jesus turned his full attention on her. To him, the woman and her need were more important than anything else. And she was the sole focus and center of his world and attention at that point. And this woman, who was cast out and uncared for and unwanted, had caught the eye of God because she exercised simple childlike In verse 34, we also see that her salvation was profound. His words confirm what she already knew had happened. Notice that he calls her daughter here. The word signifies the fact that they are in a different relationship now. It is a, it is a word of tenderness, a word of peace, a word of acceptance. Because she got more than, than physical healing that day. All her adult life, she has been an outcast, a nobody, dwelling in isolation and loneliness, living in the shadows of the cities. But now, now she hears that she has been taken in by God. Her faith brought her into a soul-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because one minute she was an outcast, the next she was in the family of God. And we can all be that same way. Right. Verse 34 also tells us that her salvation was permanent. He tells her to go in peace. And his words let her know that she has done the right thing in coming to him and touching him. Any other man in that crowd would have been offended and angered had his, this diseased woman intentionally touched him. But not Jesus. He was not afraid of ceremonial defilement. It could not touch him. He was far too holy to become defiled by the mere touch of a sinner. And what he knew was that a woman in trouble had exercised a grain of faith. And he only cared for her healing. And she was now well and she knew it. But then his final words, your faith has healed you. They really drive home the fact that she was finally and fully free from her plague. She was healed and life would never be the same again. Her battle with this disease that she had was forever over and she had received a brand new life from the hand of Jesus. And so this woman experienced healing not because she touched his garment but because she exercised faith in Jesus and his power. And when her faith touched his power his power changed her life. And so the question today is,
do you need to get to Jesus today? Is there something that you are struggling with and maybe you've been struggling for years? There is help in getting to Him. Whether you are lost in sin or whether you are battling difficulty, Jesus is your answer. Because you know, in that crowd that day, there were dozens of people with physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. But only one lady got any help. Dozens touched Jesus, but only one was transformed. And why? Why is it? Why didn't the other people that touched Jesus get healed that day? Why didn't they receive power when they touched him? You see, only one person looked at Jesus through the eyes of faith. Only one person believed that Jesus could help her. Only one person did whatever she had to do to get to him and touch him. And only one person was made whole that day or there during that time. And so what I want to tell you this today don't be one of those people who simply brush up against Jesus and leave unchanged. Don't be one of those people that goes through the motions and comes to church and leaves and leaves the same way they came in. Receive God's word. Listen to it. Let God work in your heart. If you need help, come to him. He has the power to change your situation. If you need help, get to him and touch him by faith. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. And thank you for this, uh, this new series that we're starting, Father, where we are going to be talking about these difficult cases, difficult situations in Scripture for any one of us, Father, but not for you. Father, we know that, that, that you are all-powerful, that you are omniscient, that you are omnipresent, and there is nothing that you cannot do, Father. And so remind us of that. Remind us that the same God that, that did all of those miracles in the Old Testament that we read about, Father, that that's the same God that we have today. You still have all the power. You still have all of the knowledge that we can't fathom, Lord. And we have access to you, Lord, through prayer, through your word. And so, Father, help us to realize that. That when we're struggling with something, that we can come to you. We, we recognize that struggles are real, but that we have access to the only person that can heal us and help us through any situation. And so, Father, help us to realize that we can be like this woman in this helpless case. And we can come to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and be healed. Father, this morning we ask that you also would bless the offerings that we're going to pick up this morning, Lord. We ask that you would help us to continue to just be faithful, Father, in the giving that you have placed in our heart. And we, as always, ask for wisdom, Father, and how to use the money that comes in. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. You're listening to El Camino Podcast.